the GRQ podcast finally gets into Clubland Stories for episode 95. Podcast and Blakey cover nearly everything, from an embedded ball that stopped play for 20 minutes, what is a reasonable stroke when there is a bee's nest, when spectators know a player has too many clubs, to a couple of kids playing a wrong ball, and a couple of stories about bunkers thrown in for good mix. So whether you're in your car or going for a walk, enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Golf is a test of character before it is a test of skill. And playing by the rules of golf will definitely test your character. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Golf Rules Questions podcast, episode 95. You've got Blakey and Podcast McPhee alongside me. Uh, how are you, Podcast? Yeah, I'm well, Blakey. How are you? Very, very good. Now, let's quickly get on to today's. Uh, we've been putting them off, putting them off, um, and we're going to finally get into the Clubland stories because we ask everyone to do the send the Clubland stories. We've been a bit busy, but then when they've sent them in, we haven't got to them quick enough. So we've got about six or seven to get through today, and then the next episode we'll get through the rest of them um, because we do love them and everyone loves them. Um, because they have a little bit of drama to them, uh, as you'll find out from definitely from our first one. But uh, firstly, let's knock off the GRQ OTW94 answer. What was the question podcast? Yes, the question from last uh, episode number 94 was Ross is playing at Wombat Hills and his tee shot comes to rest in the only pot bunker on the course, right up against the face. He decides to take unplayable wall relief and drop outside the bunker. He goes back on the line about five metres behind the bunker and drops correctly. Andy, the average golfer, reminds Ross that the club has not adopted the local rule allowing outside the bunker unplayable relief and he needs to drop inside the bunker. Disappointed, Ross picks up his ball to correct the mistake and drops within the bunker. He takes four more shots to hole out. What is his score for the hole? Okay, so if you've uh, been following on Instagram, you will have seen that I posted a image from the book uh, about your options for taking an unplayable from a bunker. We talked about it in the episode last episode, episode ninety four, before uh, podcast then gave us the question. Right, so it's his tee shot into the bunker, so that's one. He's then decided to take unplayable back on a line outside the bunker, which is a two-shot penalty. He drops it, drops the ball into play, and then Andy pipes in, which he shouldn't have, and was confident that he knew the rules when he did not know the rules. He said there was a a local rule, and it was not a local rule. It's a rule of golf, 193 that Ross was able to use. So Ross then picks the ball up that was in play. So that's a one-shot penalty. And then he goes and drops it in the bunker, uh, which what he's actually done there is he's dropped it in a wrong place and he's played from a wrong place. So the picking up of the ball and the dropping and playing from a wrong place uh, counts as a two-shot penalty. So he's got the two-shot penalty for the outside the bunker. It's got the two-shot penalty for playing from a wrong place. So we're now up to five. And then he has four more shots uh, to hole out, which is a nine. So he finishes with a nine. Is that correct, podcast? Yeah, just uh, correct. So as soon as he took that drop outside the bunker correctly back on the line, regardless of what happens after that, he's now his whole score is currently at three. As soon as that drop, ball in play, that's at three with that uh, two-stroke penalty for playing outside the bunker. And as you say, picked it up, uh, that's a one-stroke penalty because that ball's in play. We know that gets melded into the wrong place, uh, dropped it in the bunker. It was that next stroke that actually, of course, triggered the wrong place penalty, that first of four, and then you had three more. So nine is correct, absolutely. And the first two-shot penalty is in error of play or an option that they had. And that's why it doesn't get merged in as just two shots. The first two shot was an error of play. The second two shot was a breach of playing from the wrong place. That's why they are two separate two shot penalties. Yeah. The first yeah. one was a normal procedure. Like he was, he, he went through everything correct. 
And then the wrong place penalty happens when the stroke is actually made, not when the player puts it in the wrong place. So the stroke is made. That was their sixth shot. And then they hold out in three more shots after that to get to nine. So hopefully a few people got that correct. <clears throat> okay. Let's uh, get into Clubland story number one. This is from a popular or a very familiar person of the show, Ruin Carlsland from Denmark. Listen to this one. This one has got my noodle cooking for months now. Hope you can help out on understanding the correct procedure. This all takes place at a team division match between my own club, Odense Golf Club, and our competing club, Odense Eventer Golf Club. Excuse me for my pronunciation of uh, Danish words. <laughs> Division one, second highest tier in Denmark. To make it easier for you to pronounce their names, I will call them Nick and Jan. Thank you. Both brilliant players plus handicappers and both PGA certified golf coaches. They are all, well, well. They are on the 10th hole. I don't know the current score, but it's not relevant as they are fairly evenly matched at this point. It's a par five, 500 metres. Both drive into the fairway, onto the fairway about 300 metres. Jan lands his second shot on the green and Nick blocks his approach into a thicket of trees about 50 metres right of the green. They go on to find the ball in the, in the, within just a couple of metres in the thicket embedded in some bare, soggy soil. Nick is prepared to take free relief, but Jan stops him and claims he saw it bounce once and hence it can't be embedded in its own pitch mark. <laughs> you have a comment about that, Stuart? No, no, no. No, I'm just listening. <laughs> Sorry. Nick, I think, well, that let's mark that down. That we need to talk about that. Then okay. Nick didn't see it after it broke the tree line. They get into an argument about who's in the right, and as they can't agree, they decide to call the designated referee. He is off-site. This is normal in these division matches. Fair enough and cannot get there in a reasonable time and tells them that they need to work it out themselves. <laughs> this is uh, referees. You don't need them till you need them. You know, they, they could do nothing for four days, which I've, I've had tournaments where I've done nothing for four days, but then when they are needed, they are needed in a big way. Okay. Continue. I assume he simply can't give a ruling because he lacks information. That's probably true. true. Or maybe you can give a better explanation. Uh, just quickly. No, that's probably um, the case all he can say is embedded rule ball rule um, is this this and this what are the facts from the two players blah 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 but actually we will get into I said we'll come back to that so we'll get into that in a second he might have been able to give a bit more help to the players uh, that may have um, got the situation underway a bit quicker uh, anyway after this they both sit down and refuse to play on for about 20 minutes. Oh, that's uh, that's ridiculous. Oh, oh, I'd almost oh, disqualify geez. both of them. <laughs> but, Imagine the fields behind them. Maybe they're yeah, not anyway. Yeah, you just, walk, you just walk them. You just go, okay, that hole's half, that hole's half. Yes. Now you're on the 7-8. Um, wow. Next team captain comes by and states that he can tell them the rules about the embedded ball and does so, presumably correctly, but also states that he cannot interfere with the decision, which I presume is also correct uh yeah if there's no referee allocated to that match then uh it's just for the players to work it out themselves or ask request a ruling um request a ruling for someone to come and give them uh interpretation and judgment on that uh after about 25 minutes of disputing and a lot of silence <laughs> Imagine, can you imagine how awkward that would be? Incredible. Nick decides to play the ball as it lies. Okay, great, Nick. Thank you. Whacks it out of the thicket and then goes up and down for par. Yarn holes and two more for birdie and wins the hole. They play the rest of the match in silence and Yarn wins two up. <laughs> uh, what actions were taken to resolve the situation? The result was accepted by both players and no further actions were taken. Great. It's all done. This is not a live situation. It happened uh, last year anyway in 2022. Okay, first of all, podcast. Now, I want to be very clear about this because I agree with what you're about to say. <laughs> Can your ball be embedded, be considered embedded after it bounced? Yes. Why? Why do you well, say Well, we know that? the first time, let's say we're 
the first time it hits the ground, it's more than likely going to make the biggest indentation in the ground. But that doesn't mean it can't take a bounce and move and hit the ground again and make a further indentation. The, the way it was described was it was boggy soil. In other words, I take that as soft, therefore more likely to receive a ball on its bounce and actually then become embedded. We know that uh, you can't be embedded, <clears throat> excuse me, in sand uh, in the general area if it's not closely mown, but this is soil, so that's different. Um, yeah, I believe it can be embedded. It may not be embedded a lot, but it still can be embedded. Well, the words state, a player's ball is embedded only if it is in its own pitch mark. It doesn't say that the pitch mark must be made on the first impact into the ground. A ball technically could still make a pitch mark on the bounce and the ball could come to rest in that pitch mark so that the ball is breaking a part of the ball is breaking the level of the ground and therefore it is it could it would be considered embedded especially so in soft that, ground i think yeah. the first thing is whoever's given these guys the information about the rule of what is an embedded ball needs to say well if it's bounced that doesn't necessarily mean that it, it hasn't become embedded if if it bounces out of its own pitch mark and comes to rest in someone else's pitch mark that is not embedded because it's not in its own pitch mark. But you can have your ball embedded in a pitch mark, in its in its pitch mark, and that pitch mark may have been made on the bounce. Imagine if you looked around that area and around this five-metre circle around and there was not one other pitch mark except the one that it's sitting in. You have to think that, 90, that pitch 95. mark was caused by the ball landing in that spot. At least 95. Now, if the ball was in um, sand, then, then as podcast mentioned, um, you know, you can't you can't have a ball embedded in sand um, unless it's in the fairway height, grass cut to fairway height. Uh, but this is in the rough. It was clear. It was 50 metres right of the green. That's a long mm. way. How that other person saw that, well, that you know, that's up to them. But that doesn't necessarily. We're taking out the fact that it doesn't necessarily mean the ball was not in bed. Now they've had this. They've taken way too long. I mean, as I said, I would probably say you guys, you know, this hole's halved now, and the next hole's halved. You've got to walk those holes because you're too slow. But what is the real procedure? I mean, I don't see the referee as doing anything wrong there necessarily. We don't know what kind of information he gave them about the embedded ball, uh, but I don't think see him doing anything wrong. Um, he's he'd, he'd take the facts and he'd give them the ruling, um, you know, based on what they saw. Yeah. Um, well, you and I didn't see it either, but no, we that's exactly right. We over the phone could have said, "Hey, just guys, just a couple of things." Um, can you describe the area to me? Is it soft? Is it hard? Um, et cetera, et cetera. It can embed on the you know, on a bounce. And the other guy might have gone, oh, well, I didn't think about that. Or, oh, well, I didn't think it could. Okay, I'm more open to it being embedded there. Yeah. Yeah, spot on. And then, but they should have got on with it a lot quicker than what they did. Uh, you can't play two balls in match play. So what Nick should have done was he if he he could have just played the ball after taking free relief. He said he, he played as it lies, so he's accepted it. He's accepted, okay, I can't take free relief. That's fine. But he could have taken relief under 16.3, and then at the end of the match, they work it out. And if Jan wins one up, then he's not going to follow it up. If it's all square or Nick wins one up, um. You know, it's probably going to get the referee involved, but and it puts uh, it back on the committee to make a decision, and it speeds up play too. So, mm. <laughs> um, I don't nothing sort of re like apart from them taking too long, nothing really stands out there. Um, that you know, and and obviously, yeah, there was there's a bit of silence, awkward silence. They probably won't talk to each other for the rest of their lives, but 
that's fine that happens sometimes that's a good thing you know a reason not to talk to someone so thank you very much for that question and uh i'm sure hoping it's not your uh your first because i love that one right moving on to the next one from my old mate colin in waimati colleen is playing up the par 4 12th hole at waimati when her third shot heads towards the road fence Along the fence is chicken wire in various states of repair. When arriving at her ball, she finds that her ball is in the broken chicken wire and thinks it is out of bounds. Local rule, out of bounds is determined by the nearest inside points of the fence posts. Podcast, thoughts on that? Uh, nearest inside points. Is that course side or outside? Oh, that'd be course side. Um, that's okay. That's not a local rule. That's just the rule of golf. Well, you got to well, yeah, you got to define though how the boundary of the course you is. You do, but if you're defining it by a fence, uh, the out of bounds is the sure. inside. Yeah, but you do need to tell us how the defense. course boundaries. Yeah. Uh, later on, it is actually discovered to still be in bounds, to be still in bounds, but in the broken chicken wire. What are her options? Right. Uh, what actions were taken? Colleen, thinking that she might have been out of bounds, took the local rule E5 as suggested by someone else and played from the fairway and just missed a putt to get a point in the Stableford round for the hole. Looking back, had Colleen played from the wrong place and what should she have done? Her playing partners also didn't know what the correct procedure was either. Uh, this happened in June at Waimati and Colleen still beat Colin on points that day. <laughs> Okay, so she's proceeded under an inapplicable rule because her ball was actually inbound, so E5 doesn't apply because the ball was neither lost nor out of bounds. So she's taken that two-stroke penalty plus played from a wrong place, but the two-shot penalty doesn't actually apply. Uh, her only options were under an unplayable going back to the tee or dropping within two club links or back on the line. Are you talking potential issues with 14.7? Uh, yeah. I Potentially, it's a serious breach. Um, but she's still taking a two-shot penalty. Uh, that's an interesting one. Glad uh, the good thing is it was a Stableford, so mm. zero points. Um, she had zero points because she missed a putt to get to the point, and uh, and that's good. So she's done nothing wrong. But what could... what would you do if the com if you were the committee? What would you say to her when she comes and tells you this big story? <laughs> uh, first thing I'd say is try to determine whether it was in fact in bounds or not. But it sounds like it was. And could she have got relief, free relief, from interference from the chicken wire? Uh, no, I think the chicken wire was part of the out-of-bounds fence. Ah, okay. So, no, that's the answer to that question. No. So, no free relief from the boundary fence. So, it's definitely part of the fence. Yeah. Was the chicken wire. Yeah. Even though it's in different states of repair. Yes. Because um, we sometimes we'll see that it's, in fact, the post's the mark uh, that actually are marking the out of bounds and the chicken wire or other things actually are not part of the boundary fence. They're just there as a fence. But as you say, local rules will state how the boundary is. The, um, the fence posts are obviously, but the fence posts are holding up the chicken wire fence. Sure. And in this case, as you're saying, the chicken wire is part of the boundary fence. It is, yes. So there's definitely no relief. Uh, from no that. Now I've actually forgotten your question now. So if now, I was a committee, well, she now came she's in. Taken, she's taken local rule E5 and dropped her ball in the fairway, which she's not allowed to take local rule E5. Uh, but she's done so thinking that she was, in fact, out of bounds. Yes. Yes, that's right. So if... Uh, so what is but the... But she wasn't out of bounds. No, she wasn't. So what is the applicable rule that applies here uh, it would have to be. Stroking. All she's done is picked up her ball in play, and moved it to the fairway, dropped it with intent, and played it. Right. So it has. She had intention to take. Well, it wasn't an unplayable, was it? 
and it wasn't a striking distance. It was a stupid local rule. Like local rule which you which you love. Uh which right. was not applicable under these under this condition. Under okay, this situation. so she's just moved her ball at rest, um, played it from right low uh, from a wrong place. So she still gets that two shot penalty. So it's effectively the same thing. But is it a serious breach? Well, no, because she should have just played it from over near the boundary fence. Uh, so if you think distance wise, not had she did she have a swing? If she didn't have a swing. Then you could maybe call it a serious breach. Yeah, like if she like she had interference she, from the fence, and there were trees in there. Because if she if she'd taken an unplayable, she might have still had a terrible sh- position. Right. So might be a wander down. Well, if you're yeah. the committee, you know the whole well. That's you right. Ascertain. Uh, you would definitely ask. So as the committee, you definitely ask and try and find out the facts as to whether it could be a serious breach. Yes, which the player will not be forthcoming. <laughs> Well, their thoughts, just, their opinion on that. You just tell you the facts, and then, but it's a Stalford. As you say, it's had, disqualifying from the whole. Not and she had end. zero points, so yeah. uh, it's all. She would have been disqualified. That's right. But <laughs> Colin wants to know if this was a stroke ground, what would happen? I mean, the committee needs to find out whether it's a serious breach or not. That's the issue because that determines whether the disqualification she's picked, or she's picked a ball up that's in play and she's dropped it somewhere else and played from somewhere else. Mm. All right, excellent. Moving on, Dan DK. Hello, Blakey and podcast. Apologies for the <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Jeez. Apologies for the mixed Canadian foursomes mind bender the other week, but appreciate you entertaining us. Now you entertained us, DK. Yeah. This one perhaps a little more straightforward. A player makes a stroke from a deep greenside bunker. The ball lands on the steep turf above the bunker lip and starts to roll back towards the bunker. Player sees the ball coming back towards him and quickly smooths over the oh, sand no. with a rake to avoid the ball coming to rest in his deep footprint. The <laughs> balls, the ball does in fact roll back to where his footprint was and comes to rest on a nice floppy lie. A fellow, a fellow player in the group sees this and believes the player has improved their cats and should be penalised. The player disagrees, exclaiming that he was caring for the course exception to rule 8.2b he's written that in there uh what actions were taken to resolve this situation general penalty applied to the player can the improved conditions be restored to avoid penalty so his first question is uh was was the player allowed to care for the course in the manner that they did uh, they cared for the course while the ball was still moving and they saw that it was coming to rest or most likely going to come to rest back where they just played from. And second question, uh, could the player, the, the ball rolled onto a nice fluffy lie, could the player actually restore uh, the conditions to the crappy lie or uh, I guess place the ball there um, to avoid penalty? I think you know where I'm going with that last one. <laughs> but the first one. So if we look at 12.2B, restrictions on touching sand in the bunker, there are no, it's 12.2B3, no restrictions after ball was played out of bunker. After a ball is played, after a ball in a bunker is played and is outside the bunker or players taken or tends to take relief outside the bunker, the player may touch the sand in the bunker and smooth the sand in the bunker to care for the course. This is true even if the ball comes to rest outside the bunker and the player is required or allowed by the rules to take uh, a penalty <laughs> as as in you've gone out of bounds or something like that. But but if the ball played from the bunker comes back into the bunker, the player takes relief by dropping a ball in the bunker or the player decides not to take relief outside the bunker, the restrictions and rules 12.2B1 and 8.1 again apply to that ball in the bunker. So, does that answer the question? Not really. I don't, you know, this caring for the cause seems like it's always just thrown out as a blanket get out of jail free card. I don't think the, the player can get out of, there's no, they're, they're just definitely penalised. No, I know, but you know what I mean? Like, there's this, and even this person has mentioned it, you know, they know they weren't caring, they know exactly why they were raking that bunker. The intention. <laughs> You know, um, but I, I sometimes feel that players have this belief that there is a blanket get out of jail free card, and that was, oh yeah, I was just caring for the course. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, their intention was to improve the conditions, so they weren't just caring for the course, and hence they got the general penalty, and rightly so. Yeah, is this covered under, you reckon, Rule 12 or Rule 11.3? Or does it really matter? Uh, 11.3, deliberately removing objects which they are not or altering conditions to affect a ball in motion. They're altering physical conditions. Um, uh, yes, yep, moving the scene. I mean, you can probably ping them under one or the other, but well, it's all the general penalty. Uh, so DK's quoted 8.2B, but that is when the ball is at rest. In this case, the ball is in motion. So we've looked at 12.2B and uh, talking about caring for the course. Um, you can do it once the ball is outside, but in this case, the ball wasn't at rest outside and the player did have an inkling that it was going to come back in uh, and come to rest back in the spot where they had pl uh, recently played from. Uh, so if we look at rule 11.3 and there's a clarification uh, slash one, it's very similar to this. Examples where the player gets general penalty under 11.3 and in stroke play must play the ball where it comes to rest. So that answers both of our questions or this is about to answer both of our questions. The player's ball lies in the general area at the bottom of the slope. The player makes a stroke and while the ball is rolling back towards the slope, the player presses down a raised piece of turf for the purpose of preventing the ball from coming to rest in a bad lie. Now you take out the general area, put in bunker, take out uh, divot and put in uh, rate sand footprint, and you've got your, uh, you've got your two shot penalty there. Um, and he just then plays it as it lies. So even though he's improved his conditions, uh, you don't restore it, and you can't restore it to avoid penalty in that case, no. Moving on, Mr. Roberts. Four wonderful guys playing at Hilltop. Tenth hole. Coolis, Coolis hits his ball left, and it comes to rest at the base of an old peppercorn tree. On arriving at his ball, callers say something like, that's bad, it looks unplayable. Just then, Jeff yells out, look out, don't move left. Look, there is a hive of bees in the tree. Get away quick. Neil adds, grab your ball quick, you can get a free drop. Bees are dangerous animals. In fact, I am staying here. I am allergic to bee stings. I am saying here that I'm allergic to bee stings. Jeff pipes in, what comes first, the unplayable lie or the dangerous animals? What do you think, Dave? We all always turn to you for the rules. Here's another person, Mr. Roberts. His first name's David. This is why I don't go by David. Uh, Dave replies, there are two different rules for unplayable and a free relief from the dangerous bees. And if Jeff stirs those bees up, the nearest point of relief may be on the other side of the fairway. I can't quote the rule numbers, but I think you can. You can't claim I can't quote the rule numbers, but I think you can't claim dangerous animal if there's an existing issue that you can't take free relief from. If we wait a while, I will look up. Look it up. Caller said, "No, let's keep going." And being a man of great principles, says, "I said it was unplayable, so I'm going to take the penalty." Neil butts in. Yes, most rules of golf <laughs> apply the penalty. You never get off easy. Let's check when we get in. Uh, what actions were taken to resolve the situation? As outlined above, callers takes the unplayable option of one-stroke penalty and two club links lateral relief and did it very quickly. At completion of play, around the table of nice drinks, the rule book came out and David found 16.2B3, to which Jeff replied, you did the right thing, callers, and not like you to be right, Dave. Then the discussion went on about if callers had not said anything about the unplayable and may have been able to hit out it with the back of putter then he could have claimed free relief from the bees. Have another lemonade, boys. Uh, this this happened just the other day, last week. So, what were your thoughts on that one? That's a good story. It all comes down to a reasonable stroke. So you only get free relief for a reasonable stroke. Now, the last, basically the last sentence, if he was able to hit it out with the back of a putter, then he could have claimed free relief uh, if that was a reasonable stroke, uh, then that is correct. Um, I think the more the issue is um, where the player has said, you know, guys, 
I'll just take an unplayable. And then the other possible relief situation popped up. And we know that if you're going to take an unplayable, you pick up your ball and then someone says, oh, look, you're in GUR there. You can actually get free relief, even though you've stated your intention oh, you know, to take an unplayable. Yeah, things can change. Uh, mm. But to get that free relief in the first place, it needs to be for a reasonable stroke. And a of reasonable course. stroke yeah. is to make contact with the ball uh, to a reasonable place. Okay, so you can't aim out of bounds and say, <laughs> I I can make a reasonable stroke at this. Yeah, but you're going to hit it out of bounds. Yeah, well, you can't do that just to get free relief. Mm. So good on you, uh, Coolest, for doing the right thing uh, and for Dave looking it up and getting the, the ruling 16.2B3, which is dangerous animal conditions. I mean, bees. I mean, yeah, some people are allergic to bees, so I understand that. Um, but bees aren't necessarily um, that aggressive that they will attack you um, because if they sting you, they die, which they don't really like doing. Uh, whereas wasps, they can sting and sting and sting. Repeatedly. But just on a rules of golf point of view, it just has to, it has to be a reasonable stroke. You just can't be saying um, free relief everywhere. It has to be for a reasonable stroke. If you can flip the putter backwards or the six iron backwards and hit it down the fairway or towards the green not necessarily even towards the green if you can hit it back out towards the fairway then that could be um, considered a reasonable stroke uh, but it can't be a situation where you're not even going to be able to hit the ball like you know it's 10 meters up in a tree or you're going to hit it towards out of bounds um, and, and, and it would reach the out of bounds easily uh, so good one David Mr. Roberts, thank you. All right, another one from DK. Stroke play. Player A makes a stroke at a ball that is at rest in a greenside bunker. The ball is bladed over the green into a red penalty area. The player chooses to play the next stroke from where the previous stroke was made for a penalty of one stroke. Before dropping, another player in the group, player B, states that they cannot proceed this way because they are not permitted to drop a ball in a bunker under the rules. <laughs> player A proceeds to take lateral penalty relief on the advice of player B under rule 17.1D3. The facts are reported to the committee. That is the strangest comment advice I've ever heard. He wants to go back to his last place player that he just played out of a bunker and someone says, no, you can't do that. Uh, what actions were taken to resolve the situation? No additional penalties are handed down. The players are informed that the stroke and dips, uh, stroke and distance option for one penalty stroke is in fact available. A follow-up question for podcast discussion. That's the podcast, not you. Yeah. Can the player rate the bunker smooth before taking penalty drop in the bunker? I was just going to say um, there's no issue to resolve because the player did proceed under one of their options. It just wasn't the option that they wanted to. Yeah, that's right. He, uh, He's done he everything correctly. He hasn't played from a wrong place because he's played from the right place under an option, but he wanted to go back to where he played from. What an option one, not three, under 17.1D. DK must have spent a lot of time in the bunker in the last couple of months. A lot of bunker questions. But so just like I read DK, read you uh, 12.2B for your previous question, it applies again for this question. Once the ball is outside, whether it's gone out of bounds, it's lost, it's in another part of the course, um, the player can rake the bunker, smooth the bunker um, before they take their penalty drop back in the bunker. So that would be okay. <laughs> I love that. Where and when did this happen? Yeah, a bunker. A bunker. <laughs> That's You're after right. a little bit more detail. Bit I more was kind general. of look, looking for the course or country, or but uh, they know that's very funny. Uh, another one from Jimbo. Oh, I love these nicknames. This is brilliant. Jimbo hits his tee shot twenty yards left of the green on the seventeenth par three hole into moderately deep rough. He walks up to his ball and finds a putter lying in the grass. It turns out that Jimbo only carries 13 clubs in his bag. He checks the putter out and likes it's waiting. Oh. He pitches it to six foot. May he use that found putter for the rest of the round? What actions were taken? 
Jimbo didn't use it. He returned it to the pro shop. He made the putt with his original putter. Uh, this happened in Ontario, Canada at Doom Valley. What a what a name for a golf course, Doom Valley. Sounds ominous. Uh, um, thank you, Jimbo. That's brilliant. Uh, if you only start with 13 clubs, doesn't matter how you add another club to your bag, unless 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 it's someone who a club that's already been selected by someone for that round. Uh, but a found putter. I mean, well, that's an interesting question, podcast, is if you don't know that it's someone else has lost it on the course. Can you add it to your 14? Can you add, add your, it to your yeah. 14? And how often have you found a wedge, you know, sitting beside the green left from a group behind? Yeah. But you know that's for sure there's someone else on the course, more than likely in that same competition that you're in. Yeah. More than likely. Yeah. As opposed to one that's in the deep rough, that a player could have hurled after missing a, you know, a one ago. foot putt or three putt. Two yeah, weeks ago. Could have been. Or earlier and having missed, you know, four putted and just said, I don't like this club anymore and decided decided to dispose of it. And then you <laughs> pick it up and you like it. Can you use it? Well, clearly With, the other player doesn't have any Without any knowledge that someone else had selected it for that round. Well, I think they've deselected it though. <laughs> Uh, note to self, no one can deselect a club. <laughs> and the, um, I also was going to say the rules don't say how you add that club, you know, where it actually has to come from. And in deep rough beside the green, doesn't say how you need to add, where that club needs to come from. Exactly. You can, it can come from anywhere, but it just can't be someone else's. And how are you supposed to, are you supposed to go through that, that information? When the trying, grass is growing around it, trying to find a bit of rust, a bit of rust forming on it. Yeah, and you're like, oh, well, it has. It's obviously not from today's round. <laughs> um, so all I can say in regards to the rules, yes, the player can add another club to their bag because they only start with 13. They can't use someone's that had been selected for the round, um, but they can use any other club. And it doesn't even have to be a putter. It could be anything. Or it doesn't even have to be a driver. It could be Informing. anything. So that's the information I can give you there, Jimbo. That's a great question. Right, another one. Ruin again. We're hosting a rather big junior tournament where young scratch players from the whole country come to play. It's 54 holes cut off after 36. There's a roaming referee to whom all the players have a phone number in case of a rules issue. I'm in that car along with a senior ref. The situation happens on the first round, eighth hole, where two of the three boys hit their ball into the fairway. It being a dog leg right, it's very hard or next to impossible to see where the ball comes to rest past the dog leg. They go on to find their ball sitting nicely in the fairway about 75 to 100 metres short of the pin and play on. They reach the green and realise they've been playing each other's ball from the fairway. They go on to correct their mistake by exchanging the balls so that they now had their own ball <laughs> presumably marking the spot where they picked up the wrong ball, place their own ball in that spot and put out for what they think is a four and a five. They're each Then each add two penalty strokes and proceed to the ninth tee. Uh -oh. While they are teeing up, we referees roll up at the ninth near the green. We currently don't know anything about the breach. The mother of one of the two lads addresses us saying that the balls might have boys might have a rules question. She then mumbles something about a ball swap at this point, the boys have teed off on the ninth, which oh, no. let them play out, then approached them as they walked towards the tenth, hoping to find out that they had simply played the balls from a wrong position or that they had proceeded to replace and replay the shot. We get their story and through an unnecessarily hard interrogation, get them to <laughs> tell them this story. We were absolutely gutted. Uh, what action was taken? We saw no other option than to have them disqualified in breach of Rule 6.3C. Mm. failing to hold out on a hole and proceeding to start the next. The mother was furious at us, but I'm guessing more on herself for letting us know of the breach. But as I told her, this was not something we took any joy in doing and that the boys should call a referee whenever there is a speck of doubt. It's a question of sportsmanship and applying the rules correctly, not trying to get away with it. The boys were very understanding and accepting of the situation, but naturally gutted. Turns out one of Turns out the father of one of them is somewhat a national legend in golf. 
Mm. And, and his comment to the situation when he was told was, it's unfortunate, but perhaps, but perhaps they should try and learn the rules then. Ooh. They had a good walk back to think well, things on. over as you turn around three point five five kilometers away from the clubhouse. Oh my god. The third boy was placed in a two ball with one of the lads from the group behind. The word spread like a forest fire, and after we got called out to everything. <laughs> even, <laughs> even a ball that was accidentally knocked off the tee in preparation to making a stroke. <laughs> Are very sensitive. Brilliant, brilliant. What a great summary, though, of what's happened. Yeah, that is fantastic. Um, unfortunately, a terrible situation, but uh, yeah, you know, that's usually what happens. Guys get burnt by the rules, and then they go, "Oh, maybe I should learn them." So, just to uh, clarify for those who are not quite sure, they've realised they've hit the wrong. Let's say their approach shots onto the green, and on the green, they've realised they've hit each other's ball back on the fairway, and at that point there, they've decided to mark. And sort of swap balls back again, but uh, Blakey, I don't believe that's what they should have done. Why have they been disqualified? Yeah, so they've played a wrong ball. Um, so you have to you you take the two shot penalty or the general penalty, and you have to go and fix your mistake. And the only way to fix your mistake is by going back to where your original ball was and playing your original ball from there. If you're and in this case, both their original balls are not there anymore because they've been hit by another player as a wrong ball. Yeah, if your original ball can't be easily found, um, you can replace another ball on that spot. And uh, they could if, have uh, saved. They could have been saved if they hadn't teed off on the next hole. If they'd found out what had happened before they teed off. Um, then they could have fixed the situation and the strokes don't count with the wrong ball. So um, they need they'd to be fix, they need yeah, to fix the mistake. <laughs> well, the funny thing is they placed another ball in play and played from a wrong breach, which uh, from a wrong place, which was a serious breach. So they played a tee shot. I think only two of the three um, stuffed up, right? Yeah, yeah, two of the three boys hit the ball in the fair. So they've teed off, so that's one. They've hit a wrong ball. That's They're now on three. They've then placed a ball into play on the green and say they had two putts. Well, they've played from a wrong place, serious breach. Uh, so they get another two-shot penalty. But they've corrected. Yeah, I know what you're saying. But they've, they should have also, in any way, they should have gone back to the fairway, obviously. And what you're saying is they're almost correcting two things now. No, I'm, what I'm saying is when if they did go back to the fairway, um, they'll be hitting their sixth shot. Because they're correcting the wrong ball, but they're also correcting a serious breach, playing from a wrong place, serious breach. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so it's not just the wrong if they if they just continue to play with the wrong ball, the strokes don't count and it's just the two-shot penalty, but they didn't. They swapped balls back. Put another ball into play as well. It's saying. not the fact mm. that they it's not the fact that they uh, uh played with their correct ball at the start. It's the fact that they had the intention to put another ball into play that wasn't the wrong ball. Yeah, wow. Hmm. Boom. But they're young. They'll make mistakes. Neither of them will forget it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and that's the that's the positive. And the correct ruling was made, you know, as Ruin correctly said, and you, you and I have had this conversation before, no committee wants to disqualify a player unless yeah. they punch someone, unless it's quite, you know, no one wants to disqualify a player. So no, you don't want to, right. but there's no option. The committee had no option. They had one option. <laughs> yeah. No alternatives, you know. No, no alternatives, unless it was a stable yeah. thing. Hmm. Uh, right, next, Kim. A significant club event, paired event file. Now, Kim sent me this as an email, and I've replied to her with this email, but this is hilarious, this one. Uh, well, when I say hilarious, I would have done some things differently, I guess I'd say. A casual observer to the match felt a player had a crowded bag 
and then I thought to be more than 15 clubs. There was no opportunity to ask, felt not her place to ask the player or alert the opposition, but told two other casual observers who were all reluctant to raise the possible breach as not totally sure there were 15. And the match concluded, pair in question won comfortably, result declared and prize given. Uh, on the day, rules were managed by the golf shop on staff on request. Uh, this was discussed between the three observers and the opportunity by stealth, an opportunity by stealth confirmed that one of the players had 15 clubs. No action taken, decided to let it go. The question is how it should have, how the casual observers, the spectators should have handled it during the match, if not how post-match, say, before final declaration presentations. Did you understand <laughs> that? I did, yeah. I've got a so comment. What, but, uh... So what happened was uh, one player had 15 clubs. Uh, people who were watching the match, because this was obviously a final. Um, Bad bag. Thought that uh, there were 15 clubs, but didn't say anything to anyone and just let it pass. And then they found out later that there was 15 clubs, um, but they decided not to say anything. What do you reckon? What well, the first do? thing I would say is who's to say that on the very first tee, that player with the fat bag said to the two opponents, Hey guys, see this 56 degree wedge here. Sorry, it's in the bag, but it's out of. I'm not playing it today. Uh, I can put a cover on it if you want. I can, but I'm not playing it. And could have made that declaration to their opponents. Who's to say that didn't that conversation didn't happen? No, that's a good point. I didn't actually bring that up in the email. So what you're saying is stay out of it. <laughs> oh, there's a bit of that too. But I just think who's to say that com you know that comment wasn't made even before the match started. Look. They they chose to stay out of it, which is fine. Um, and you're and you're right. Uh, the players could have already had a discussion between each other. Uh, I was practicing with it, and I forgot to take it out of the bag. Your opponent um, might have already said, "Geez, your bag is fat." Yeah. Oh well, yeah. Now you mention it, I'm carrying um, seventeen clubs. I I would say that uh, the opponents, I mean, the spectators, could have a word to the opponent and just say, "Hey." We think, you know, not trying to start anything, but then it becomes, then it comes down to the opponent's uh, option as to what they do. They could actually choose to ignore it. Oh, that's okay. fine. I, I'm not too fussed, you know, mm -hmm. which is an option for them. Uh, not to have an agreement that uh, we're allowing 15 clubs without yeah, a penalty. Don't talk about it. You're allowed to talk about it now. You're allowed to have a discussion. No, but just don't, yeah. But you're not allowed to, you just to say, hey, I see that you've got 15 clubs. But I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to penalise you. You know, don't don't worry about it. Um, you're not allowed to say, "Hey, have you got 15 clubs?" Yes, I have. Ah, oh, that's right. Um, I think it's a breach. Yeah, it is a breach. Uh, well, I'm, don't worry about. It. Forget about it. But if it's just a discussion where one person is basically talking and telling the other person that it's okay, don't worry about it. But I, for me personally, I think that that option should have come up. Um, would it, you know, the 15 clubs, would it really have made a big difference? It doesn't matter if it does. It's the, the rule is you only get 14 and uh, whether they use, they might have only used seven for the day, but the rule is 14 is the limit and it should be for the op opposition. If the player has more than 14, it's the, uh, the opposition has the option as to what they're going to do. Has the limit of 14 been around for as long as you remember? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't remember it being any different. Maybe 10 back in the day, 150 years ago. <laughs> Not sure. Mate, yeah, I mean, there might have been... it. The reason that there'll be a limit is someone put 25 clubs in their bag once. Yeah, no, that's that's how the... I can guarantee you that's how the rule stuck. And they're like, oh, hang on, hang on, we can't have this many clubs. Um, hey, Martha, when's your what date's your birthday? The 14th of July. 14's the limit. That'll be how that comes to that. And we'll read that somewhere at the first open championship, some player was carrying eight and the limit was seven. And he was Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Right. We've got three left. Uh golf gal. Suzanne is playing a match against Connie. Suzanne plays her tee shot into a very wooded area on the course with bushes and rocks. 
She thinks her ball could be lost, so she announces and hits a provisional ball, which she stripes. This sounds like you, 225 yards down the fairway. Suzanne loves her provisional and asks Connie not to look for her original ball. Connie happens to be walking by the area when Suzanne's original ball may be where Suzanne's original ball may be, sorry, and sees what could be Suzanne's ball in a thick bush and calls her over. Suzanne knows that she must identify her ball within one minute, so she fumbles with her clubs ah. in a golf bag and delays arriving at the ball. She arrives after one minute and announces that she is later than one minute so she can play her provisional ball. I love that. Where and when did this happen? In my mind. Ah. So this is a hypothetical. Uh, Stuart, do you know about this whole one minute? Isn't this been something added? Because we knew that it, you you had a reasonable time to go and identify your ball once it had been found, and that reasonable time could extend beyond that three minutes. Is this one minute been added in? Um, yes, but I don't think it's – I think it has been added, but I don't think it's quite – been added as this person has as in a as in a precise 60 seconds uh, no it's it's more the case of um let me see if i can find it well at 10.2 a the player must promptly attempt to identify the ball and is allowed a reasonable time to do so even if that happens after the three minute search time has ended uh, this includes a reasonable time to get to the ball if the player is not where the ball is found so I don't think making a making the claim that hang on, you know, as soon as you call me over, I started my stopwatch and it's now sixty eight seconds that I've actually got over and identified my ball. And you could also make the argument that the search time didn't even start because the player well, it hasn't the search time no. hasn't started until the player yeah. has got there. So we've still got a full so three minutes. The search time hasn't started, but there's this uh, the situation where it happens after the three minutes. Um, so they've kind of. Taken this um, one minute thing, and I'm just trying to find out where it is. Um, let me see. Yeah, I think it's under the prompt. Yeah, you read it there. The player must promptly attempt to identify the ball, even if this happens after the three minute search. And they added in a minute here, and it must be in a clarification. But it's it not. Is. It's yeah. not a. It's not as what they are talking about. Which one is it? 18.2a1 slash 3, meaning of reasonable time to do so when identifying the ball. 18.2a1 slash 3. It provides that a player must promptly attempt to identify a ball that is found when it is believed that the found ball could be the player's ball. And when attempting to do so, the player is allowed a reasonable amount of time to identify it. However, so long as the player's ball is found and identified during the three-minute search time, the player may take as much time within those three minutes to identify it. But when a ball is found close to the end of the three-minute search time, it is reasonable to allow the player up to one minute to identify the ball. For example, a player finds a ball in a tree two minutes and 30 seconds after the search began, but it is not immediately able to identify it as, as theirs. It as theirs. In this case, it is reasonable to allow the player one minute to try and identify the ball, meaning if the player is able to identify the ball within the three minutes and 30 seconds after the search began, the ball was not lost. But if the player discovers the ball is not theirs after the three-minute search time is finished, the ball is now lost and the player has no additional time to search. Similarly, when a ball is found close to the end of the three-minute search time but the player is not where the ball was found, Rule 18.2a also allows a player a reasonable time to get to the location where the ball is. And once there, it is reasonable to allow the player up to one minute. So the one minute is for identifying it, not the time it takes for the player to get to the ball. In this situation, the three-minute search time hasn't even started because the player hasn't even started. But what that one, the example, just trying to think of an example of that clarification is if you if you're searching, you've already started the searching because you're the player or your caddy um, or your partner or your partner's caddy, you already started the search. And then there is a ball and you get to the ball and then it, you've got one minute in which to identify it as your ball. You're already there and you have one minute in which to identify the ball. It's If you're 50 metres down um, the fairway and, oh, I've got your ball here or I think I've got a ball here, it's not one minute that 50 meters either. It's you, you, you know, promptly make your way towards the ball and then you've got one minute in which to identify it. So uh, the question's taken that one minute, but not quite put it in the right place. 
Um, so the answer to that question, golf gal, is the three-minute search time hasn't even started yet. Um, so they need to now get in there. And if they keep pissing around and fumbling with their clubs, uh, we could dock them two shots for undue delay. Well, I could say the committee could take it a step further, a serious misconduct. Yeah. Yep. Okay, CK. We had a DK, now we've got a CK. Jim and I played in a couples tournament yesterday for a, for the gross score prize. The women have a par 73, 18, hole 18 is a par 5. The men have a par 72, uh, the 18th hole is a par 4. It is a four-ball stroke play tournament in, in that the best score of the two partners counts. Jim gets a 4 so that the score is counted. It is a par on the other team, the female gets a five so that the score is counted. It's also a par. When the tournament ended, we scored 72, including par on the 18th, and the other team scored 73, including par on the 18th for the female. Who, who wins the tournament? The, uh, what actions were taken to resolve the situation? The committee said it was a tie, but it was a best ball. So I think lowest wins as no handicap involved. Nothing in rule 23 on mixed. Uh, that is one. That's a great question. That is one for the committee to decide upon as to what is the winning or what is the, yeah, the winning score effectively. Um, if you are playing par and the diff, there's different pars for a mixed event. Interesting though, it's a gross event, not a handicap. Not yes. Mixed. But how can how can you expect? Yeah, uh, I mean, if if you go on the gross event, is it the overall score or is it the over overall score relative to par? Well, that's the confusion that unfortunately that committee has to deal with. Well, given to, that, yeah, to me, it's overall score. Uh, it, it's overall score in relation to par. You know, mm. you're square, you're one under, you're two under, you're one over, you're two over. Uh, <clears throat> the committee said it was a tie. I agree it was a tie. Um, and you go about having a having a tie, uh, a playoff. You know, playoff they, they have a playoff or if they want to do a, you know, because there's not much sun, <clears throat> there, would, there would be in <laughs> Canada. Um, there's not much daylight. Then you just do a scorecard tie. <clears throat> So with yeah. a gross event stroke, I sometimes think the par is almost Ridiculous. Um, it's, arbitrary. It's, it's redundant. Exactly. In other words, you know, the tournament this week, the par of the course could be 36. Yeah. That won't affect who wins the tournament. No. Because whoever has the fewer fewer strokes is going to win the tournament. Uh, that's that's right. However, stroke play event. Yeah. however, if you've got two different uh in this case, it was genders. But if you've got two different genders or you've got two different age groups, I mean, it could be that the the, the beginners, um, the youngsters, uh, have the par as 78. Yeah. And yeah. then the pros are playing off the same course and they're playing off 68 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, if you are allowing two different groups to play against each other, um, you've got to define, the committee has to define what is... Um, the the winning score. Now, and I must I, say, I'm, I'm I, comfortable with what that committee did. Like, yeah, me too. I, I mean, I understand that it's lower score wins. I get that. But when, when it's, you know, it's in relative, it's relative to their skill level and their skill level says that, well, the par on the 18th is for the females is a par five. Oh. Um, so I think it, it was a tie and they just needed to um, have a playoff or determine how they were going to break that tie I mean we see that in junior pennant in Victoria or in Melbourne especially when girls are playing against guys and it's the par is the same but when they play handicap it's whoever's the higher handicap, it's whether they get a shot on that hole or not. So uh, that didn't really help you out in CK, but I agree with the committee, sorry. But at the same time, the committee needs to work this out before the tournament starts, not 
afterwards when yeah and, and knowing ahead of time that that you know part the 18th hole could possibly pose an issue yeah spot they on. should have there should be a sentence in there addressing that even yeah absolutely mm. uh ck's got another one for us a par four has a creek red penalty area running down the left side creek red penalty and then crosses over the fairway 300 out and marked yellow then turns and goes down the right hand side all marked red However, it is marked with stakes and lines, but there is a wide culvert you walk over. The yellow stop at the beginning of the culvert, then there is a five-yard walk over the culvert where at the end it is marked with red stakes and lines. Wow. The yellow stop at the beginning of the culvert, then there's a five-yard walk over the culvert where at the end it is marked with red stakes and lines. So between the two, there are no lines in play despite just fairway cut grass above it. Question one, you see your ball go into the yellow, but when you get there, it has floated down the culvert just past where the red line is above on the grass. Where does they? Where do they drop? Well, your ball is still in the penalty area, but where was its last place that it crossed? If it has gone... Yeah, actually... Because uh, we've got a tournament and uh, I'm looking out over a tournament with Jeff... Um, for the end of September. This one, well, hopefully it doesn't come up, but it possibly could, where this bridge has the pipe and we're looking at it going, okay, it's got grass over the top of it, but there are some gravel bits, so we'll make that an immovable obstruction and the yellow penalty area will be here and it'll finish there and there'll be a drain underneath this, uh, essentially a path, a grass gravel path, um, so that's general area. So the ball has floated out of the yellow penalty area and now crossed into its last place that it crossed into was the red penalty area. So the ball is now in the red penalty area and you just work out where it last crossed uh, into that. The, yeah. The last cross the edge. And uh, last edge, edge cross. cross? Yeah. Okay. So we're happy with that. Yeah. So where your ball has ended up coming to rest determines your relief options as well. Well, it's where it ended up crossing last. Last. Yeah. And so the fact that it's gone into a red, a yellow penalty area, then gone through into the general area, and, and then, then gone into red. through into red, your ball was in red and it's last crossed last into cross. a red penalty area. Right. Uh, number two, what if you see your ball under the culvert but past the yellow line, not through to the red line? Is that now an immovable obstruction, hence a free drop above despite it being in the creek but not in any area, penalty area, uh, not in any penalty area clearly marked with lines on both sides all the way down and across the fairway? This is why I do not like hmm. um, determining that these culverts or paths or whatever are general, uh, general area, area. Uh, because effectively... <laughs> getting this free drop out of a water. But I can, you know, in a situation that we're looking at, it's the same, exactly the same situation. It's a immovable structure, you know, it's a plastic pipe and it's a concreted culvert or concreted um, bridge. Um, so it's it's now in an immovable structure. So yes, uh, if your ball has come to rest and you know it's in there, um, it is in the immovable structure, and you work out your nearest point of complete relief, which most likely will be straight above. Uh, what actions were taken? Should have read this out first. None. Yeah. They say that where it first went in, you drop it. I agree if you can't find it, but if you can see it in the red area, then I think you drop it there where it entered the red on top of the culvert. He's, you're right, CK. It's where it last crossed. Um, if it goes into a yellow, out of a yellow, into a red, it's the red, not the yellow. If it's all one, if it's yellow, if it just merges into from yellow to red, then the last place cross was in the in the yellow. But this one stops and starts again as a different penalty area. So um, it's where it last crossed. Okay, very good. Uh, we smashed through those Clubland stories. Uh, if anyone has any queries, comments, questions, uh, send them in writing to podcast mcphee <laughs> no let's uh, get on with the grq otw and it's a true false question 
during the round, a player may access local weather information, including wind, temperature, and humidity through an application or internet browser on a multifunctional device. Is that true or false? Uh, if you need to listen to it again, just rewind the playlist and or the podcast and just uh, listen to it again. Thank you, everyone, for listening through on those Clubland stories and get more in. We love them. They they really bring um, the rules to a heed and we get to discuss and you know talk about more than just the rules, more about what uh, the committee would do. So it, it's really good. Thank you very much, everyone, for contributing.